So good morning, three trails. Morning. morning. So I'll introduce myself like I do to some students. Mr. G's in the house. Yeah. Let's get it. Yeah. So you've already met my wife and I already told you we celebrated uh, 38 years. We have uh, four children, three uh, still living. And uh, so one's 37, soon to be 37. So that's our oldest. We had him when we were 13, 14. And uh, our next is going to turn 30, just got married, and our youngest just turned 21. So uh, uh, is it Madison? Uh, Madison's 21 now? Where's Chris at? Right here. Yeah. Oh, Macy. Macy's 21, which is amazing because I'm only 16. Right. He's an old man. Yeah. So Chris is one of those ride or die. Um, I had another phrase I was going to use, but I'm not sure if this is uh, broadcasting. So I learned last week that what Chris asked to be cut out uh, wasn't. So it's still... Still there, Chris, by the way. Diarrhea. Yeah. And, um, but instead of saying what I was going to say, you can ask me about it later, uh, but he is, he's one of those friends that will storm the gates of hell with you with a water pistol, right? And uh, we're all about depopulating hell and populating heaven. And... Um, and we're passionate about what Jesus, his passion, drove him to the cross for. You see, you know, around Easter, you ever wonder why they call uh, the week leading up to Easter is called the Passion Week? Because passion literally means willing to suffer for. If you're passionate about something, then you're willing to go through some trial, tribulation, difficulties, face death. When you're passionate about something, then uh, it's, it's the thing you're willing to go to a cross for. So uh, Chris and I are passionate about Jesus uh, and getting churches back on the central mission of the church. And I'm going to talk about that this morning. Uh, we're on a lot of missions, it seems, at times. And we have lots of agendas, but it's not the central mission. And there are a lot of churches that are dying because they've forgotten the central mission. They forgot the, 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 the one thing that Christ has called us to do. And so we go in and we remind them about the central mission. And we've debated on whether it's easier to raise the dead or to give birth. So we've been involved in giving birth to churches. We've also been about raising the dead. Praying. Now, churches don't like to be called dead, Right? When you go into a church that's dead, uh, they don't like to hear that. You're dead. And what we do is we go in, and with that dead church, we do a post-mortem on them. You know, this is why you ended up where you're at, and this is what you're going to have to do to change it. But my goal is to see churches become a, a viable ministry once again. And you're going to find that it's, I'm a simple guy, and so I find that uh, there are some things that... Uh, I mean, the gospel just isn't difficult. 
understanding who I am isn't difficult. Understanding what the mission of the church is, it's not that difficult. Uh, but we seem to make it complicated. You ever hear somebody, you're explaining something, and they'll, my children do this all the time. Well, Dad, it's more complicated than that. Right? You try to make it simple, and that's more complicated than that. It's only complicated because our feelings and emotions get involved. You ever say, have somebody, you talk about their relationship status, and they say it's, it's complicated. No, it's not. You're either on or off. It's, <laughs> you know. So uh, uh, it's very, very simple. And at the end of this service, I'm going to give you an opportunity to follow Jesus. And so I want you to listen intently so you can make an informed decision. An informed decision to follow Christ. And so I want you to get your pens or your devices or whatever you take notes on because I want you to get some stuff down. I'm here to give you some stuff and my expectation is that you came with an expectation. Amen? Amen. I hope you did. Uh, otherwise, you're just ready for lunch. Right? I have an expectation that you're going to be a good audience. Right? And that you're going to respond. There you go. And the less you respond, the longer I preach. Not as long as Chris. He takes forever. <laughs> The beauty of going back and looking at watching the service is that I can hit fast forward. <laughs> so, and you may, you may want to do that. You may want to do that as well. But let me just tell you what you tell a speaker. Now, when you go to conferences or your work sends you someplace, what do you take with you? Something to take notes, right? Or they give it to you. Because when you don't, when you don't come prepared to receive what you tell the speaker is that you don't expect that he's going to or she is going to give you anything of worth. He's not going to say anything worth writing down. Well, I come with the expectation that because God spoke to me and I'm going to deliver that to you, that there's probably some good stuff in here. And you get to decide as Bereans, that is, you're going to search the word, right? Uh, you just thought that was a Baptist name, right? Berean Baptist Church. Bereans were actual people in Scripture that went back and studied to make sure what Paul was saying was correct. So I expect you to do that, but I'm not going to make it difficult for you. You know, oh, was, he, was, was that scriptural? You know, those who, what is, what's, what's the thing? Those who help themselves, right? What's the saying? The Lord helps those who help themselves. Some people thought that was Scripture. It's not, and it's not even biblical. God helps those who are helpless. He's made strong in our weakness. Now, if you, I'm fiddling with this, it's because I'm getting stabbed in the neck because my mic broke in the back. So I keep fiddling with it. Chris does it just because it's ADD. If you ever ride with Chris, anybody ride with Chris, by the way? And he's got a thing he does with the, with the mirror. Nonstop. And I remember when I rode together with him for the first time, I said, is there something wrong with your mirror? <laughs> Does that thing just vibrate down? You got to constantly adjust it? He said, no, nah, it's just the thing I do. So, you know, he's not sure why I told you that. But I want to continue. I want to continue on this theme of urgent. Um, 
And you're going to find out why I wanted to continue this. Uh, and I'm sure Chris shared this with you in the first message. And what does urgent mean? Well, the definition talks about a, a state or a situation requiring immediate action or attention. The situation is far more urgent than we believe it is. And I'm going to talk to you about what the state of the church is and its mission is far more urgent than we think it is. Now, we're talking these days of, well, we're in the last days, aren't we? Well, we're in the last, you know what? I was saying that when I first became a believer. My grandparents, who were believers, said it. We're in the last days. Jesus could come at any moment. We're in the last days. But, you know, maybe another 20 years, another 50 years. I don't know. I guarantee you that one of the reasons that it's taken longer is because the Scripture tells us that Jesus is patiently waiting. Why? So that all men may come to know him or have an opportunity to hear him. And so in the 80s, we talked about the 1040 window. Anybody remember? The preacher's talking about the 1040 window with regards to missions. It was uh, 10, 10 degrees this, 40 degrees that, whatever. And anyway, it was a, a box and we said, these are the unreached people groups. And once we meet them, Jesus will come back. So let's urgently preach the Gospels. Jesus is waiting for all, for people to understand who he is. And we talk about that this morning. So there's urgency, urgent of action or an event done or arranged in response to a pressing or critical situation. If of a person or their manner, earnest and persistent in response to a pressing situation. And you can think of different aspects of urgency. Now, urgent means something else to Chris as, at his age uh, than it did before. And you know what I'm talking about? And, of course, he did talk about diarrhea last week. So, And then wondered, can I say that? I'm like, well, you just did. So... But we may, when we think about urgency and we talk about the church and it's standing in this, uh, uh, in this world situation, we may think, well, the state of our country is in crisis, right? Or even the state of the world is in a state of crisis. And you don't need me to enumerate uh, all the crises that we're in. You're very well aware uh, of the many urgent situations in our world today that, and in our country that need response, we may say, hey, we need the church to rise up and do something before uh, America is lost. Our children are victimized, or God forbid we lose our Christian rights. Let me just tell you, all, what I just said, that statement, we don't need any applause for that because it's inaccurate. That's not where the urgency lies. Um, we may look at the situation that we're in right now, and, uh, and now we see also this rise of Christian nationalism. You know what that is? There's a worship leader that's going around countries and going into state capitol buildings and singing praise, which I think is fantastic, but he talks about Christian nationalism. Well, let me just tell you, that's wrong. We don't need to become Christian nationalists. We're not, this is not our country. We are not of this world. We're aliens. We're pilgrims passing through. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 says this, and you don't have that on screen. It's something I added about 3 o'clock this morning, I think. 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners or as exiles, some translations calls us aliens, it says to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. In Hebrews eleven thirteen, it says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners, that they were strangers on this earth. We're Christians in our home. This is not our home. Uh, the American flag, praise God for it, and the freedoms we have, it's not, our, it's, not our, it's not our national flag. Our national flag is Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the reason, amen? And so, you know, let me, let me just see something here. Let, I want you all to say my name, okay? I love the sound of it. Galen. Galen. Say it again. Galen. Say it again. Galen. Did that do anything for anybody? Besides my wife? No. Now say Jesus. 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 Something starting to rise up, isn't it? Yeah. Just the mention of his name. And his message is the urgent message. Now I'm going to talk about one things. I'm going to talk about four one thing, you know, one gospel, one call one mission. So we're going to talk about the first one's one gospel. Romans 1.16, you do have that one for the screen. And it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. You probably should underline that in your scripture or highlight it in your, in your notes um, on your device. There's so many ways now to take, take notes. I'm still the paper and somebody left a pen here for me. I'm not sure. I think I'd right on my iPad. But anyway, it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew, then the Gentile. That's you. Any Jews here? I mean, by birth? So we're all Gentiles. And Gentiles just essentially means non-Jews. We're not, we're not Jews. It's everybody. There's the Jews, and then there's everybody else. Those are Gentiles. So the gospels come to us, for in this gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, first, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. One gospel, Jesus Christ. And it is offensive. Why? Because we say he is the only way. Right? He is the only way to the Father. That's a bit decisive, isn't it? Everybody says, well, you know, we want, need to give room for everybody else. And the church is starting to give into that because we're getting into this aspect, well, if God loves everybody, he wouldn't want anybody to go to hell, right? So in some way, we'll find God, Jesus is just one of the paths. No, Jesus said he is the only way, right? And so we believe, I believe, Chris believes, I believe your church believes that Jesus is the only way into salvation, and that's the gospel. And it's the gospel that we preach. What is the gospel? It's very, very simple. It is Jesus Christ crucified, dead and buried, rose again, and now ascended into heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's the gospel. 
That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to present. I mean, that's pretty easy. You don't have to go to a class to memorize that. I mean, you could have been a... In fact, it's probably better off that you just learn that, right? Because you're more apt to go spread it because there is a urgency in you that you want to tell people. So I wasn't raised in the church. And I started going to church because there are people that I went to school with that liked me and I needed somebody to hang out with because I was, I was what you called a hell-raising unbeliever. Right? And I did it very well. And my father taught me very well. And uh, we had booze parties in the backyard and... Uh, you know, my dad put a, I was thankful because my dad put a, a keg in a refrigerator in the garage, right? And so I could go in and, you know, on the way to school. I started when I was very young, going from uncle and aunt and father and mother and saying, can I have a sip? And they'd all, of course, they didn't know I was, you know, making the rounds. So I started drinking at a very early age. And then it just got, got worse from there. But then Jesus called me. He said, come follow me. That was, that's what he asked me to do. I wasn't convinced that I was, I was listening to a song. And in it, the song was saying that uh, Jesus, it was about his burial, that he was put on the cross and everybody thought he was dead and everybody was mourning but the guy singing the song started hitting the keys, tinkle, tinkle, you know, like, like um, stars twinkling. He says, but the story is, wasn't over. They thought the story was over, but the story wasn't over. Why? Because the ground began to shudder. The stone was rolled away. And Jesus walked out of that grave. Amen? Amen. And God began to speak to me, and he said, I want you to follow me. And I thought I was hallucinating. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit speaking to me. In fact, I had lots of spirits in my life that had spoken to me, literally. And so, but this was a different one. This, I, th I knew that this was God's voice. Come follow me. Now, I didn't even know the word vocation. I, I barely made it out of high school. My parents were, praise the Lord. Uh, and I didn't think I needed to because I was, was going to be a trucker. Drive, drive a semi. That's what I was going to do. I figured I'd just go to trucking school. I don't need to know algebra for that. But Jesus, he said, I want you to follow me. I want, I want uh, essentially saying, your vocation is following me. And I thought, yes. And I got so excited. And after the service, I went forward. I couldn't speak. And the, the guy that led the, the song, he said, yeah, son, son, what do you, what do you want to say? I, I said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he's like, praise the Lord. I said, no, you don't understand. It's my vocation. I'm going to follow Jesus. You know, and then after that, in that service, people made it complicated. They said, oh, so you feel called to ministry. I said, I guess so. They said, so you think you're called to be a pastor? or a, a missionary, or a worship leader. I'm thinking, I don't know. Do I have to choose? I, he said, follow me, and I said, okay. 
And I remember taking my best friend home. He'd been raised in the church, and he thought I was nuts after I became a believer. He thought I was cool before, you know, because I wore, uh, you know, Motley Crue t-shirts to church. And I I did everything I could do to offend people to see if they would still love me and accept me, right? And uh, they did. They loved me and accepted me. But I remember I went and I got to my house, and I lived in a homosexual community. There was a homosexual church just down the street from us. used to be a Jewish synagogue. And uh, I stood up on my car, the hood of my car, and I yelled, I'm in love with a man, and his name is Jesus. And my friend's going, oh, my God. And I'm going to tell you, from that day forward, my parents never really knew where I was at night because I was always running off, and I was a skateboarder uh, and would skateboard down the, through the uh, parking garages and different things. But now I was going out and I was witnessing to the drunks and the winos and the prostitutes there. And, uh, and so I had no fear. I'd just go. And I remember I was just so frustrated because drunks, they, you know, I would think they were getting it, but they, then they weren't getting it. And I was complaining to a friend of mine. And they said, well, why don't you? And he was joking. He said, why don't you just pray? Because, you know, oh, there's Galen. He's going out witnessing again. And I didn't even know what that meant witnessing. I'm just telling about, I said, I'm just telling about Jesus. Well, that's witnessing. Oh, okay. Didn't know the language. And he says, why don't you pray that God would sober them up? And the ones that God sober up, sober, sobers up, you witness to them. I said, that's a good idea. And so that's exactly what I did. And I went out and I began to pray, God, sober him up. That's all I prayed. Sober him up. Grab them by the shoulders and would shake them, and sometimes I would scare them because I'm a pretty big guy. And uh, sober up, and God would sober some of them up. And then I would, those, I would tell them about Jesus. And without question, each of those God sobered up received the message of Christ. You see, it wasn't me, it was because Jesus was calling them. I realize that it's so easy because all I need to do is to find the people that Jesus is drawing to himself and tell them about who's drawing them, right? And then I got another brother, another sister in Jesus. And I like to get them fresh because that way they'll storm hell with me. They don't end up just going to church and sitting in a pew and saying, feed me, right? Uh he talked about diarrhea last week. I, I think that sometimes we're so full of the gospel that we're spiritually constipated because we, had, we, we just build it up and build it up and build it up and there's never any release. That's an awful image, isn't it? But we're con- spiritually, we're just, we're just uh, stacking. Now let me just tell you, I accepted the call into the ministry. I thought, what do I do now? Well, I need to go to college and learn about what I'm doing, and, and there I was a problem because I asked questions nobody else was, was asking because what were they? Well, a lot of them were second, third, fourth generation preachers. Uh, I would say by, there weren't any people that came from a non-Christian home uh, that were in my, we call them theolog, theologian classes. And so I'd ask questions, and a professor thought I was being smart with him, and and I remember in one class, he just said, oh, is, is this all right, Mr. Dennis? Something he was teaching. I said, oh, no, continue on. 
Because I, I would always raise these questions. And then I realized, oh, I got a problem. This guy's going to make my life miserable. And so Dr. Eaton had two doctorates. And I, I said, Dr. Eaton, I said, can I take you out for coffee? He said, sure. So I took him out for coffee. And I said, you don't understand. I'm not trying to be a troublemaker in class. You have to understand, you're going to expect me to teach this stuff. And so I need to know why. What it is. What are the depths of it? Because all of these dudes and dudesses, right, were uh, raised with this terminology. And I'm just going to tell you, most of them didn't know what it really meant. They just used the words entire sanctification, regeneration, uh, all, the, all those difficult words. And see, I think I'm better off. How many of you were raised in the church or a Christian home? Raise your hand for me. Come on. All right. Lots of you. Right? And so, you know there's a certain language that that you all know. I I think I was better off than you. Because I wasn't raised with it. I didn't get the Sunday school versions of David and Goliath and uh, uh, what's the other one, Pat? Jonah and the whale and... uh, Daniel and the lion's den, and then specifically it was Noah's Ark. And I remember I'm in a board meeting, and I'm actually at this point an associate pastor, and they're talking about what they want to decorate the nursery in. And what did they want to decorate the nursery in? Noah's Ark. I didn't go to Sunday school. I didn't know that there were cute little animals and two by two. You know, the animals, the animals. They went in by twosies, twosies, animals, the animals, right? You, anybody know that song? Nobody grew up with the, the songbook, the blue big songbook? Yeah, Salty? Man, I'm not that old. Anyway, and I'm aghast. I'm like, oh my goodness, why do you want to decorate the nursery in Noah's Ark? I mean, mankind was destroyed. I mean, how do you picture that? How are you going to put that on the wall? What are you going to do? Draw pictures of the ark and then drowning people swimming? Ah, save me, save me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, like, no, you know, animals. We're going to put little animals up there. Giraffes, kangaroos. Kangaroos, these roosies. The animals, the animals, they came in by... Tuesdays, Tuesdays, right? Uh, oh, and then I was in charge of vacation Bible school. I was just, you know, I was just in charge. I didn't do anything. Just made sure things happened. People did all their stuff. It's one of my first assignments. And I'm thinking, and the pastor says, "I ah, just, you just, you're just there. Those ladies don't want you making decisions. Right? Just be there as a representative." And I walk in, and they're practicing for the play. David and Goliath. And I see these kids dressed up, and there's this giant laying down on the ground. And these kids, this kid has a sword in his hand. And they said, and they were singing a song, and at the end of it was, and David cut off Goliath's head. And the head went off. And I thought, oh my gosh, what are you doing? 
You're teaching these kids reenacting, beheading. I mean, who does that? Who gets their children? Hey, we're going to cut off this guy's head and then we're going to rejoice. I didn't, I didn't, so I didn't get the Sunday school version. I'm glad I didn't. Because I didn't have to unlearn things or relearn things. Let me just tell you, when I was ordained in the 1990s, early 1990s, I guess it was 1990, my theme song, let me just tell you, I didn't follow Jesus because I was a sinner. I followed Jesus because he called me and later learned about the word sin. I didn't know what sin meant. That was a weird word for me. We didn't talk about sin. There was right and wrong. Oh, well, sin's the wrong thing, right? No, not right. Correct, right? It's the wrong thing, and so sin. Uh, I gave my life to Jesus and followed and followed him. I mean, I was asked to join an army. Amen? Amen. God's army. I learned that our weapons were not of this world. And I'm going to tell you, I'm, a, I'm an intercessor. I'm a prayer. I fight my battles on my knees. But I want to tell you that, that I joined an army. It's like the Marines. I mean, if I was going to join the military, the Marines is where I was going to go because they were the best, right? At least that's what... And my dad was in the Air National Guard, so I wanted to put him to shame. And, and so I... Um, but that's where I'd go, looking for a few good men. And here it is, God's saying, I'm looking for a few good ones. I'm, who will follow me? I'm going to tell you, that's not the gospel most people are called to. I knew it was going to be tough. When I'd start whining about how hard it was, Jesus would say, but I told you how difficult it was going to be. I told you that people were going to hate you. I told you the devil would come against you. And I would allow it. Like, well, that's not fair. I hear people say, well, God's an abusive father. (laughs) No, my goodness, no. I signed up for this, and I whined a lot. And I still whine. And he reminds me, that's not what I called you to. I called you to give your life, take up your cross, die to yourself, and move forward. But you don't know what they said about me. He said, oh, yeah? When they said that about you, and it hurt your feelings, did it feel like a thorn piercing your brow? Being pressed into the bone of your skull? No. No, it wasn't that bad. He says, well, they can quit complaining. Because I'm the one who gives you strength. I'm the one who uh, provides for you. I'm the one who does it. So trust in me. I tell you, this, is, this generation and former generations, they don't like that. Oh, that makes me feel bad. I'm sorry. Get over it. I say this and it defends people. I'll say, so, are you a believer? I'll ask, I'll ask my wife because I can't offend her. Well, I can, but. I say, Pat, are you a believer? Yes. What difference is it? So what? What difference does it make? You go to church regularly? Yes. So what? What difference does it make? Well, that's tough, isn't it? Well, what difference does it make? There's a mission we're called to to spread this one gospel. It's what we're called to. So, so there's so many believers who are still babies 
I remember leaders, the Lord said, get some pacifiers. Pat is a baby educator or whatever, a childbirth educator. In her hospital, they got a bunch of pacifiers in. And her department wasn't about pacifiers. So I said, they were talking about, what are they going to do with that? I said, give them to me because I think God just spoke to me. Because I'm, I'm prophetic, pathetically prophetic, but prophetic. And so I felt like I was sitting there. I said, well, what am I going to do with those? Well, just I had a leadership uh, conference with my leaders uh, of my church. And so, and the Lord said, take those with you. I said, okay. You remember this meeting? Yeah, she does. And so uh, they started whining about stuff. So I was requiring them to read a book. And I'm not a reader. I'm like going, you don't have to be a leader. I said, you know, but if you want to be on my team, you're going to have to read some stuff. You're going to have to do some stuff. You're going to have to learn how to be quiet before the Lord. And I require these times of quiet retreats, silent retreats and everything. And they were just whining about this. They were whining about people in the church. And Why isn't your group going, well, you know, excuse, 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 excuse. And the Lord said, now, hand those pacifiers out. And so I handed them out. And I said, you are a bunch of babies. Now I can say that because that's what God called me. Before this, I'm going, oh, Lord, when I go there, they're all going to be whining. And they're all going to want something from me. And I'm going I'm to teach them things that they don't want to learn. And they're not going to take notes. And I'm going to have to bring paper and pen because they're not, oh, Lord, what do I mean? He says, here, take one of those pacifiers for yourself. You're just a baby. Oh, Lord. See, whatever message God gives me to bring, he always filters through me first. So let me tell you the song, that my theme song. It's called For the Sake of the Call. Anybody have heard of it? For the Sake of the Call. It's an old song. Again, I guess I'm old. And I was ordained in this great Baptist cathedral. Anybody here, John Brown? Some good Baptists back here. John Brown University, Salem Springs, Missouri. We were there, I was there for ordination, and I asked my wife if she would sing this song, this theme song for me. By the way, I created problems there too. The superintendent came and he had this Bible and he came to me and says, Galen, now, when I come up, I'm going to say some things and then I'm going to hand you this Bible. And after I hand you, pray for you and hand you this Bible, and I said, I'll speak in tongues? And he's like, no. I'm going to let go of the Bible. You hang on to it. Don't let it drop to the floor. And of course, my direct supervisor was like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? But here's the song. It says, we will abandon it all for the sake of the call. No other reason at all, but for the sake of the call. Wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. Nobody stood and applauded them, so they knew from the start this road would not lead to fame. All they really knew for sure was Jesus had called to them, and he said, come, follow me. And they came with reckless abandon. They came, empty nets laying there at the water's edge, told the story that few could believe and none could explain. How some crazy fishermen, people call me crazy, Fishermen agreed to go where Jesus went with no thought to what they would gain. For Jesus had called them by name. 
drawn like the rivers are drawn to the sea. There's no turning back, for the water cannot help but flow. Once we hear the Savior's call, we follow wherever He leads because of the love He has shown and because He has called us to go, wholly devoted, to live and to die, not for a dream or a promise, simply because it is Jesus who called. Amen? Wholly devoted to live and to die for the sake of the call. That was my theme song because that's, that's what I believed. And I wanted to follow Jesus. And so I would go into places that uh, my dad would say, angels fear to tread. I've always felt like if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. So I'm just going to go. I lead a, a, a drug addict to the Lord and I want to find, who's your drug dealer? Let's go see him. Oh, no, no, no. You have to understand in the drug culture, we're not disclosing the dealer. Any former drug addicts here? Not anybody who wants to admit? <laughs> I was a stoner before I became a believer, right? Y'all know what a stoner is? Yeah, it was sin then. I think in Missouri, you're a, not, it's legal, so I guess it's not sin anymore. So, but we had one gospel, Jesus Christ. We have one call, and that's to follow. That's the call. Too many times we call people to say, well, we, do you want to come to Jesus? Would you like to become a Christian? I think we do his disservice. And then we have people that preach things like, people are acting like uh, it's cheap grace. They just think it's just sin, 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 sin. Continue to sin. Accept Jesus' sin. It's cheap grace. And I said, no, it's not cheap. It's free. It's free. I understand that it's free. And because it's free, and what Jesus did for me, man, I'm going all the way with him. He's already paid the price. And he told me that he would go before me and that he had all power in heaven and earth. So I have no fear. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. One call. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Man, I read this stuff, and I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out for, to fish for people. And at once... No hesitation. They left their nets and followed him. That's crazy stuff. I mean, for me who had never read this stuff, I mean, this is crazy. I mean, did they know something beforehand? Uh, for them to make, the, I mean, just sort of give up their, their uh, uh, what, what did I call it? The word I didn't know? Vocation. Take care of vocations, right? And give them up and follow him. I gave up my plans. People said, why did you go to Bible class? Because Jesus called me to follow and it seemed to be the next step. That's what all my spiritual leaders in my church told me. Oh, I guess you're going to go to college now. What? <laughs> Got to go to college. I barely made it out of high school. Uh, there's no college going to set me. Verse 21. Going on from there, Jesus saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed 
That's crazy. How does dad feel? Well, I, I was going to leave the boat to you boys. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be yours. Who's going to fish now? Where's the income? I mean, it's Zebedee and Sons. I mean, I already have it painted on the boat. And they follow him. That's crazy talk. I tell you, I don't think we really believe it. We've read it so much, and that's what we... we I, don't, I don't think we really believe it. Ah, that's, that's silly stuff. It, it's, it, it didn't happen that way. Yeah, it did. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow us. Take up, no, he didn't say that, me, follow me. And I believed it. I wasn't raised in the church and I read this and I believed it. And I said, okay, so I'm going to have to deny myself. I'm going to quit. That's where I stopped sinning, following after my own desires, drugs, alcohol, you know, all that stuff I left behind. I'm not sure how many kids we've got in here. Can I say the S word? Sex? I did. I'm sorry. And I left all of it. Why? Because he called me to follow. And it didn't seem like I should continue to do those things. And when I would do them, again, I would do them, I'd, I'd say, Lord, forgive me. I found that what forgive meant. I, I was just saying, I'm sorry. A friend said, you need to ask God for forgiveness. And I said, well, I did say I'm sorry. Well, it's more than saying you're sorry. It is? Okay, well then, forgive, forgive me, Lord. I'm going to stop doing those things. Nobody needed to do it. Hebrews tells me that grace is my teacher. Nobody had to come to me and say, you know what, Galen, you probably ought to stop drinking as much as you are. You need to understand, I was 17 years old. You know, I was getting high and drinking before I went to school in the morning. Pick up your cross. And then I began, what does that mean? Because I, I knew what it meant to deny myself. But what did it mean to pick up my cross? That seemed odd. I mean, in my culture, we didn't take up crosses. And in fact, I thought it weird, right? How many of you wear a cross around your neck? It's a symbol of execution, I mean, if he were put to death in an electric chair, is that what you're going to wear, an electric chair? You know, here it is. Take up your cross. It's not a pretty thing. It's an ugly thing, picking up your cross. And follow me. And I learned what that meant. One call, Luke 14, 28 through 30. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying the person began to build and wasn't able to finish. He says, count the cost. There are so many people today who haven't been able to finish. They're deconstructing their faith. Right? And generally what that means is that they've decided to reject Christianity, the church, and uh, be agnostic or whatever, atheist. Whatever, whatever those things are. And now, uh, I think deconstructing isn't bad. Let's go back to the foundations and understand why this is said and where it comes from and why my parents said, 
Don't do this or do that. Why did God tell us to do it or not to do it? Count the cost. You know, I found it very, very difficult to understand how people in one service emotionally could respond to the gospel. I thought, but they haven't counted the cost yet. You haven't. I mean, you said, hey, if if you're having problems with your kids, go to church. If you need a better marriage, go to church. If you, you know, if you financially failing, go to church. Give 20%. Right? 30%. Whatever. No. We didn't tell them the dirty little secret, which was you got to pick up your cross. People are going to hate you, despise you. They're going to call your name. Call your names. They're going to call you uh, insensitive. They're going to say that you're not tolerant. So, my wife's telling me I need to move on. Holy cow. Or, I'm sorry, righteous heifer. So, Luke 9, 57 through 62, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I mean, so many of us are like that. Boy, they jump on the bandwagon. Woo! I'll follow you. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. We don't, Jesus didn't mean that. Yeah, he did. What he's saying is, you got to be sold out. You got to follow me. You got to give up everything. They just, Jesus, oh, that's crazy talk. Let me move on. There's one call. Let me get beyond all that. Hmm. So much good stuff here. I mean, I mean, I keep going forward. I got to stop. I want you to listen to some some things that people that have, from my lifetime, maybe not yours. I know you're too young. I may ask you for a handheld. This thing is driving me nuts. Listen to what Amy Carmichael wrote. No wonder apostolic miracles have ceased. Apostolic living has ceased. No amens? You say, well, I'm not sure what apostolic means. I didn't either. Look it up. Satan is so much more in earnest than we are. He buys up the opportunity while while we wonder how much it will cost. Well, how much is that going to cost? He's already far ahead of us. Richard Warmbrand, I don't know if you've ever tortured for Christ. Um, He said this. He spent 14 years in a Romanian prison. He says this. uh, Extremism should be the norm for Christians. We should be extreme. 
I'm extreme. People say, yeah, but Galen, you're different. Yeah, I'm in peculiar. But he calls us to be extreme. What's the extremeness? Well, the gospel's extreme. And he says this, every day as we watch the news, we see that sin is exceedingly sinful. It can only be defeated by exceeding love. Amen? Joy, hope, self-sacrifice. God himself does not, or, uh, does not give with measure. He gives unmeasurably. Amen? And so, I got to go. There we go. The devil isn't holding anything back. So in Sudan, as many as 1.5 million believers have been slaughtered for their faith by radical Muslims. It is common for Sudanese Christian men to be crucified and nailed to trees. That's not, not, in, not in the past. It's happening now. Nursing mothers have a breast chopped off so their baby will starve due to lack of milk. The boys are taken and put into Islamic schools with chains and are whipped daily. The girls are taken and those who are old enough are sold into prostitution and others are sold into slavery. Iranians exposed or imprisoned an Assemblies of God pastor for nine years and he spent two years in a three-by-three cell with no light. And then he was then sentenced to death. This is what he said at his trial after the torture and after the confinement in that cell. He says, The God of Daniel who protected his friends in the fiery furnace has protected me for nine years in prison. And all the bad happening have turned out for good and gain. I am not only satisfied to be in prison for the honor of his holy name, but I am ready to give up my life. That's extreme. And in this day, we need to be extreme. We can call that urgency. And we have one command. This one's pretty easy. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based. They hinge on these two things. Everything the prophets foretold and spoke of and everything that was written down, hinge, hang, are dependent on these two commands. In a world that gives us two options regarding them and their lifestyles, you either hate us or you have to validate or affirm us. You heard that? And we're seeing it all, we don't have to enumerate it, it's there. And the problem is, is that we as believers can't do either. We can't hate them, nor can we affirm them. They say, well, unless you affirm me, you can't love me. I remember saying to somebody, my mother smoked, and she said, I'm not coming to your house unless you let me smoke in your house. That's crazy. We should be that about the gospel. She said, and I said, well, mom, I guess, guess what? I, I, I didn't know any better than I, I let her smoke in our Smoke in our house at the detriment of my wife and my child, one child at that time. Today she'd be sick for a week after my mom left. She says, unless you accept my smoke, my smoking's who I am, but it's a part of me. And unless you accept it, you don't accept me. I remember sharing that with an individual. And they said, well, that's not the same thing. And we were talking about the homosexual lifestyle. And I said, you know what? I said, I can't affirm 
but I can't hate. I have to love. And what they're saying is, unless you affirm me, then you don't love me. And we have that saying, I love you, but I don't love your sin. And that's sort of a common phrase now. I don't think we really understand it either. Just as one of my pastors in my life he recently proclaimed, and this is what we need to remember, we are not at war with people. Right? We're not at war with people. We're not at war with Biden. We're not at war with Trump. We're not at war with the trans, whatever's going on. We're not at war with homosexuals. Our war is not against flesh and blood. And you know what? We want to go out of our way to pick it and to say, we need more of this in the schools and we need, our, we need the nationalized Christianity. Let me just tell you, we need Jesus. I don't need to pick it in an abortion clinic. I need to go tell them about Jesus and let's see if Jesus changes their mind. I want to tell you that Satan has, has created a diversion. And, here's the, and, you all, and you all thought, well, I'm not sure what you thought. But here, what, the problem that we have is, is that he created this diversion. What's the diversion? Well, it used to be uh, abortion. And so we, we started picketing abortion clinics, right? We started uh, standing against abortion. And so, and now we have some churches, we have, we'll send out groups to picket or whatever. And then it was the marriage thing. One man, one woman, right? It was Adam and Eve, not Abbott and Steve, right? And so we stood up against that. And now the trans thing's coming up, and we are standing against that. Those are all diversions. They're all diversions. If we spend as much time on the one mission that Jesus called us to, to be committed to, as we do talking about all these things, man, Jesus has come back by now. I mean, if you're on social media, I know you're talking about this stuff. Because it's all there. And we need to go to the Capitol, and we need to pick it, and we need to say, we need to say no to bathrooms for both genders and all that stuff. And you're saying, Galen, so you don't think we should do that? I said, go ahead and do those things, but in an equal proportion, commit yourself to the mission that Christ has called us to. Just do that. Raise the level of that. You know why I know it's not happening? Because you're, well, one, your church is half full, and it's not just because there are people sick. Because I've watched the videos, right? There's an empty section with somebody's name on it, and their name's in that box back there. Are you just praying for them, or are you going to and saying, hey, by the way, is Jesus speaking to you? By the way, have you, are you, uh, God speaking to you in some way? No, I'm an atheist. Okay, fine. You been you got any God been speaking to you in any way? Yeah. Hey, well then, let me talk to you. That's sort of the equivalent of going and saying, knocking on a door and saying, "Peace." And if they return your peace, stay with them, eat dinner with them. If they don't receive your peace, then move on and go to the next one. You see, because it's Jesus is drawing them. I just need to find out who He's drawing. That's all I need to do. And then it's up to him. And he wants me to share with them the gospel. The one thing, the gospel. Let me just move on to the, to the end in this aspect because he's called us to one, one command. And the last thing is one mission. 
He just gave us one mission. You know, in the 80s, we started this thing with churches. It's when it also, music changed then, too. I was on a committee that says, pastors, how to add life to your worship service without losing yours. It was with the beginning of the worship wars. Back in the 80s. The good old 80s. And oh, my God. The mission of Jesus is to go into all the world. Keith Green, anybody know Keith Green? Oh my gosh. Look up Keith Green, listen to some of his music. He doesn't sing that great, but his message is wonderful. And he says, if you haven't, he says, if you haven't been called to stay, you've been called to go. Now go where? Well, go to your neighbor. So basically, go to your own town, go to your own neighborhood, go to your own city, go to your own state, go to your own nation, go to somebody else's nation, to the ends of the world. Jesus left us with one mission, and we've made it about, oh, so we've got to have a mission statement and a vision statement. Right, Chris? And are they different or are they the same? And which comes first, vision or mission, right? And then we have purpose statements. And we say, what makes your church unique? And they say, what makes you unique as a believer? And I'm saying we're not supposed to be unique. We are uniquely individual, and Jesus died for us uniquely. But he, we, had, we don't have unique missions. We have one mission, and that is the Great Commission. And it's become the Great Omission. Now, my brother-in-law says, well, you can preach that, but I guarantee you most people aren't going to listen. I said, I know, I've been preaching it for 30 years. And I've been looking for fired up believers, people who are just as crazy as I am, to disciple and to go with me. And I find very few. And I find that most churches, they're like, hey, that pastor, don't invite him back. Because he's making us feel bad. He's telling us that we're failing. No, I'm not saying you're failing. I'm just saying you're disobedient. And what's great about disobedience is that God can forgive you. And then get on track. Not, it's not your pastor's job. And it's, it's not the job of the church to win the lost. It's you. He's called you and me as individuals to go. And God has the greatest missionary task force ever that does nothing. So let me ask you, what, what is it that you do for a living? Warehouse manager? What do you do? Security? Here? You carry a gun? Oh, darn. What do you do? Factory worker? What do you do? Nurse? What did you do? I'm assuming you're retired. Truck driver. Truck driver. All right. You, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Secretary. Do you realize that that's not your vocation? How many teachers we got here? Any teachers? Yeah, way to pray for you. That's not your vocation. Your vocation is a witness for Jesus Christ. That's what your vocation is. And how God pays your missionary salary is by working in a warehouse, by providing security. That's how he pays your missionary salary. Some people are part of the denomination's missionary band, right? And we support them. 
But God supports us through the thing, the vocation, or through the, the career He's called us to. And then just, just think, He's placed us everywhere. Right? Any city workers here? Doctors? Lawyers? Anybody willing to raise your hand? <laughs> right? He's put us everywhere in society. Why hasn't he come back yet? Well, because your coworker's not here. You got family members who aren't here. Should they be here? Absolutely. And I'm going to pray for them until they get here. We have a blessing list in all of our small groups where we list people who don't know Jesus. And we pray that God would bless them and call them to himself. And then what we would do is that we're ready. When we see that Jesus is calling them, we're ready. Galen, I don't know enough. Sure, yes, you do. You know the gospel? I mean, so you know, you know Christmas? Jesus is born, right? You know Easter? Jesus dies, right? Or Easter, he's raised again. But before Easter, his passion, he dies. He's raised again, right? For what? For the remission of my sins. It's, it's pretty easy. So he crucified, died, buried, rose again. That's the gospel. And that's the only gospel that he's called us to, to share. No other gospel than that. And he's calling people to come, but he's, he's got to use us. But we're so distracted doing other things. Right? We say, well, that didn't make me feel good. So what? That, that hurt my feelings. I don't know. We're so selfish. We have to die to self and think of selfless. Right? And so... What we're going to do is give you an opportunity this morning to respond to Jesus' calling. One of my favorite songs is, Here I Am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I get that a lot even today when God tells me to go work with a church. I'm like, I don't, go, I don't want to go work with them. They're going, to just, they're going to hate me by the end of the month. They're going to say, that's too hard. That's too difficult. I don't want to go there, Lord. And he goes, who shall I send? I've called everybody else. They all said no. How about you? Will you go? I'm just asking you to talk to your neighbor. Go to your neighbor. Some of you, you may be calling to some extreme things. Some of you need to go do what I do and go into some scary places and watch God come through. Just see if, let's just see if you walk out alive. That's a... <laughs> this church needs to grow. But it's not by getting a bunch of other Christians to come here, the great migration of the Christian body of Christ. You guys need some babies, baby Christians. How are they going to get here? Well, we called our pastor and he should be... No. God called you. See, it's one call. The same call for me, the same call for you. He asks, he asks me to go. I'll go anywhere. A church will call me. And they say, well, we can't pay you. I said, I don't care. God will make, it, make up the difference. Chris asks me in 
the guy he works with, one of my superintendents. How are you going to pay for that? Right? He'll ask me, how are we going to survive, Galen? I need to kind of know. I said, I've never known. When he calls me, I know that he will supply my need. I never talk about uh, salary. Never have. And each place I go is generally less, less than the one I went to or just came from. It was because they started paying me more, right? Why are you leaving again? Because there's somebody else. We've got you activated. Now we've got to go somewhere else. Chris and I, God's going to call into some difficult places. I'm going to radicalize Chris. <laughs> I, want you just to, I want you to contemplate now. Because you've heard the truth about following Jesus. Oh, I'm going to tell you it's worth it, though. I've watched him provide provision. I've been healed. And we lost a son. God allowed our son to be taken from us. It's so difficult. I was angry at him. I was angry at him. I'm still somewhat angry at him at times. I'm like, if you love me, God, why didn't you? He said, I sent my son for you. What do you mean? Do I, do, do I love you? Right? I've been through tragedy. I walked around with a broken back for 12 years with doctors saying, there's nothing wrong with you. But I got it fixed, by the way. But God gave me the strength I needed to walk those 12 years. Did I whine through that some? Yeah. He gave me a pacifier. This is what you signed up for, son. Told you it's going to be difficult, and I will be glorified through your weakness. My strength comes when you're weak. Quit trying to be strong. So here's what I'm going to do. Jesus, if God's saying, come to, and you may have already given your life to him, but you never understood the call. You understood the gift of salvation, but you never got the call. So I'm just going to ask those of you who sense right now, just the Holy Spirit and God calling, if he's not, then don't do this. I just want you to stand right now. Is he calling you? Stand up. Come follow me. Be radical. Who wants to be radical with me? Who wants to join Chris? Be radical. And somebody here doesn't, has never known Jesus. But he's calling you. Calling you in a, like he was calling me. Come follow me. Is there anybody here who's never given their life to Jesus and decided to follow him? You're, just stand up where you're at and we'll pray for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your message. We thank you for the one the one message, the one call, the one command, and the one mission. And so, Father, my prayer is that you will radicalize this church. That you will radicalize. And what I mean by that is not this building, but, Lord, these people. Speak to them. Continue to call them. Continue... To say, hey, this is the cost. Are you willing to sign up? 
Are you willing to be? Jesus is saying, will you be on mission with me? This is what was important to me. This is why I died. Will you do it with me? Will you do it with me? Lord, in James, your brother, Lord, I read him and I can just hear him say, this is what my brother did for you. Won't you follow? Are you just in it for eternity? Are you just in it for what you get out of it? Are you willing to share that same gift with someone else? Somebody shared it with you. Somebody told you the story. Somebody preached to you. You heard it and you gave it to somebody else. Now it's time for you. It's your time. And it doesn't matter whether you're retired, whether you're still working. People ask me, when do I retire? I said, I can't. Retirement's not in the job description. I'm going to flame out is what's going to happen. You see a bolt of lightning, that's Galen going to heaven. Father, radicalize this church. Be with Chris as he serves this church and leads these people and be with Pastor Brian and Lord that he's ready to come back to a radicalized people and and Lord they don't have to be pushed to do ministry they just here we are Brian sign us up we're ready to go we've been called to follow we just need to know get, get the directions and we ask all these things in Jesus name Amen